Okay, I like asking questions of people. It's always a good thing to do, find out what's going on. You don't have to answer this one. Here's my first question of the new year. How well do you believe you know Jesus? Well, whether you've been around for decades or whether you've never been in a church before, I want to tell you this, there is more to know and discover and love about Jesus. The Apostle Paul, who wrote much of the New Testament, um, said this about his call, about what he was called to do. He said he was called to preach to the Gentiles, those who are not Jews, the boundless, or you could say unsearchable, riches of Christ. That English word, boundless or unsearchable, is a translation of a Greek word that means without limit, impossible to fully comprehend, beyond exhausting the extent of something. That's what Paul thinks about Jesus and the gospel, that you'll never get to the end of him. There's always more to discover. That's what he means by that sentence. I'm called to help people know about Jesus, knowing that they'll never get to the end of him, because there's always, always more to find out. He is endless. He is inexhaustible. He's boundless. I don't know if anybody else started watching, as I did uh, during the week, actually, I caught up with it, the new BBC, uh, it's called The Green Planet. Did you watch that? If you didn't, you should. The BBC have been doing a whole bunch of these things with David Attenborough, of course, still going in his 90s to present this stuff. We had the Blue Planet 21 years ago. I found out this week, I thought it was a few years ago. Then we had Planet Earth, now we've got the Green Planet. Planet. And every year, this wasn't mentioned on the program, but it just made me think, every year there are so many discoveries made in the world of nature. In 2021, just last year, they discovered a new reptile. They'd never seen it before. We have now found the world's smallest reptile, a tiny chameleon the size of a sunflower seed. Slightly more gruesome, but more interesting. Last year, we found a sea slug that rips off its own head and then regenerates to form a whole new body. How about that? No one ever knew that existed. It's been happening. Sea slugs have been ripping their heads off for decades. We never knew. Now we found it. In all, just last year, over 500 new species of animal were discovered, including 52 types of wasps, yuck, 13 types of moths, seven crabs, six flies, five shrimp-type creatures, and 90 new species of beetles. <laughs> Do you know what I think? If you're a nature scientist discovering stuff about the natural world, you must wake up every New Year's... I actually thought that was an alarm going off. <laughs> that child could be employed in many places. That's amazing. Um, if you're a, a scientist of the natural world, you must wake up on, the, on every new year and think, I wonder what's going to happen this year. I wonder what we're going to find this year after the previous year having found so much. To be a nature scientist must tell you this. There's always more to discover. You never get to the end of nature. To be a follower of Jesus, let me tell you, should be exactly the same. 
You can never exhaust him. You never get to the end. Every year we might, as it were, wake up on New Year's Day and think, I wonder what I'm going to find out about Jesus this year. I wonder what he's going to do this year. Stuff I've never seen before. It's interesting. If you read the Gospels, it's interesting. I noticed it. This is something I found out just a few weeks ago. I, I realized how often the Gospel writers say that the crowds were amazed. They use that word in the English translation, amazed at what Jesus said, at what he did, at how he taught. It means they were astonished. The actual word for it, used for it actually means they were kind of knocked out by him. There's always more to discover about Jesus. And I trust you're going to find that this year. So we're starting this morning a new series called Just Jesus. Because however you answered the question... How well do you know Jesus to this point? There's always more to know. There's always more to see. There's always more to delight in. So we're going to spend 13 weeks right up to and including Easter Sunday looking at some of the high points in the New Testament letters. It's all a high point. The whole Bible's a high point. But even in the mountain range that is the Bible, there are certain things in the New Testament you think, wow, what a peak that is. We're going to look at 13 of those to see who Jesus is, why he's so wonderful, what he's done for us, and what it means to live in the light of all of that. Let me tell you, as a leadership team, there is nothing better we could spend our time helping you with this year. I want to encourage you to start reading a gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, or decide this year to read, I'm going to read through all four of them, or grab a book about Jesus. I've just got hold of two, I've got two more I want to get. I just want to spend this year reading about Jesus. I am determined to find more about him because he is inexhaustible. He is boundless. He is extraordinary. So I want you to come with expectation that the Holy Spirit is going to lead you into truth and lead you to discover and love Jesus all the more. Why don't you just take 10 seconds and say, Lord, this year, teach me more about you. I'm going to start today with Romans chapter 1. The scripture will come up on the screen behind. Romans chapter 1. Jesus is the gospel. He's the heart of, the center of the gospel. So Paul is writing to this church in Rome and he begins like this. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. The gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son, who as to his earthly life was a descendant of David and who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Through him we received grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith for his name's sake. And you also are among those Gentiles who are called to belong to Jesus Christ, to all in Rome and to all in Citygate who are loved by God and called to be his holy people, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Right, we're going to work through this passage bit by bit. Firstly, verse 1, what is the gospel? It's a term that Paul uses in verse 1. What is the gospel? What would you say if I said, what is the Christian faith all about? 
wonder what you'd say if your friend asked you, so what is your Christian faith all about? Well, in 2005, a book was published based on a research project in which 3,000 teenagers in the United States were asked for their religious beliefs. And from their responses, the authors coined, stay with me, what I think is a really helpful phrase. They coined this phrase to sum up those beliefs. It was moralistic, therapeutic deism. Stay with me. You see why I said that now, can't you? Stay with me. Don't fall asleep on that. Moralistic, therapeutic deism described the belief of those teenagers. Moralistic. Do you know what the point of of the Christian faith is? Be good. Do well, be good. Moralistic, therapeutic, be happy. God wants you to be happy. That's the goal of life. Deism, that's the belief that God started everything and then sort of left it to just carry on. In other words, God's not very involved. In other words, to sum up the beliefs of those 3,000 teenagers, they said, my Christian belief is this, that you should be good, you should be happy, and you should be independent. Do you know what? That is frighteningly true in much of Christianity today. The point is to be good, be moral, look after people, be nice. That God wants you to be happy and that really you don't need to submit yourself to him, just call on him when you need him. I want to tell you this, nothing could be further from the truth as expressed in Paul's use of this term here, gospel. Gospel is an English word translated from a Greek word, euangelion. And it means an announcement of good news. If you were back in the Roman times, you might be carrying on your little life. And then, and then into town comes someone who's sharing some good news. He is a, he's bringing euangelion. He's bringing good news. It might be an announcement. A new emperor has been enthroned. Euangelion. A new day for the Roman world. It might be that there's a new heir to the throne being born. It might be that the army's been away and they've defeated our big enemy. And here comes the messenger and he's announcing new Angelion. Good news, the enemy's been defeated. It's a word they used at that time. But this announcement, this good news announcement is what's central to the Christian faith. That God has done something extraordinary in and through his son that has rescued us from our sin. In verse 16, Paul uses the same word gospel. I am not ashamed, he says, of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. What's the center of the Christian faith? It's not to be good, be happy, be independent. It's this, the point of, the crux of, the center of the Christian message is this, an announcement. Listen up! God has done something amazing and extraordinary in and through his son, not just to make us good and happy and independent, but to save us from our sin. That's the gospel. That's what Paul loves to announce. And that is what through his people now, he is still announcing to the world, world, listen up! I have an announcement for you. I have rescued people from their sin. I've saved them. Isn't that wonderful? What a great word. What a great thing the gospel is. Thank God that what we're not saying today is, Doug, be good. 
John, be happy. Marilyn, just live your own life. As long as you're all right, keep yourself together. No, 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 rejoice in the Rejoice in the gospel that is the crux of the Christian faith. That's what it's all about. Secondly, this gospel, verse 2, was promised beforehand. This gospel was promised beforehand. Paul states here, as do other New Testament writers, that in his son, God is doing both a new thing and an old thing. It's entirely new in Jesus, but it's a continuation of the Bible storyline. If the Bible storyline started over at that wall and it continued through the Old Testament, through Abraham and so on and so on and right through and David and Solomon and etc. etc. As Jesus comes in, it's not as if God has said, Well, that first plan clearly didn't work, let's try something else. That's not what's going on. The arrival of Jesus is a new thing, but it's the continuation of the storyline of the Bible. God is fulfilling his plan. It was promised beforehand. When I was married, by the way, anybody else recognize this? When you get married, if you get married, you think you know the person. Anybody else find they thought they knew the person? Yes, okay, I'll tell Ray later. I thought I knew Jackie. It wasn't like I suddenly found her out of nowhere. There'd been a whole history leading up to getting married. And yet I found that getting married to her was like an entirely new thing. Well, it was. It was a continuation. It was a new thing and an old thing. I found that it was incredibly difficult to adjust to being married, even though it was the fulfillment of years of preparation and the fulfillment of promises. It's the same with Jesus coming. He's been promised. The Old Testament is leading up to, anticipating, waiting for. It's been promised beforehand, and now he arrives. It's totally different with Jesus, but it's, to, it's the continuation of the same storyline. You see, the Old Testament is pregnant with the gospel. And Jesus, it's like, comes and it comes to birth in his arrival. It's all there in the Old Testament. The gospel isn't just a new thing in Jesus. It's been promised beforehand. We, we can see in the Old Testament, if there's one message you get out of the Old Testament, is this. We need a savior. Man, we're stuffed. All these guys who come to lead and do a little bit and judge and reign for a while, my goodness, they're okay, but they're not sufficient. We need a savior, a sufficient savior. The gracious goodness of God is all over the Old Testament. There's gospel, as it were, all through the Old Testament. And of course, many prototypes of the savior. David comes, he's a type of Jesus. Noah is a type of Jesus. Jonah is a type of Jesus. Jesus is all through the Old Testament. The gospel is all through the Old Testament. And then it arrives in his son. And of course, prophetic announcements through the Old Testament. The promise is there. Can I ask you this? Please don't ditch your Old Testament because it's confusing and tricky and feels a bit otherworldly. The gospel is all through the Old Testament. It's been promised beforehand, this great, magnificent gospel. And then, of course, it's building here. And then, of course, in verses 3 and 4, it is the gospel regarding God's 
Son, verse 2 to 3. In fact, the gospel promised beforehand regarding his son. Here we hit the center of what the gospel is all about. It's been promised beforehand and here it has arrived in Jesus. Which of course is the claim, the shocking claim that Jesus made himself. He knew, the people around him all knew the promises, all knew the storyline, all knew they were waiting for someone and something, this Messiah to come. And then Jesus turns up and shockingly says, it's me. All that stuff you've read about, all that stuff our ancestors believed in and hoped for, all the promised holy scriptures, it's been pointing all the time to me, Jesus says. Don't you find that um, people, I found this over the years, don't you find that people have some funny ideas about why you're a Christian? Have you had conversations like that? It's really frustrating sometimes. People make their own conclusions about why you are a Christian. Some people will think it's because of your upbringing. Well, of course, you had Christian parents. You're bound to be a Christian. That's kind of inevitable. You've been indoctrinated. Maybe it's just your personality. I think, I believe a number of years ago, scientists were trying to discover, was there a religious gene? The reason you guys are all here is because you were born with a religious gene. You're predisposed to faith. That's why you're a Christian. And some people, I think, believe that it's escapism. One English comedy writer wrote that alcohol is a fruity poison to escape from the troubles of life. And he said, faith is a fruity poison to escape from the troubles of life, just with fewer hangovers. He said, I want to say, and I hope you would say the same, the reason I'm a Christian is none of those. Absolutely none of those. I'm a Christian, a follower of Jesus, because of my confidence in and experience of certain historical realities regarding his son. I hope that's why you're a Christian. You don't, oh, I thought I might get an amen somewhere in the room. <laughs> not because you happen to be born in this country, not because you happen to be predisposed to have faith, but because of certain things, as Paul announces here, regarding the Son of God, who really lived, who really died, who really rose again, who really is alive today. Certain realities, yes, about his Son. Phew, thank goodness for that. And Paul sums up what he means. He sums up what he means by regarding his son with two historical credentials. It's like he gives for Jesus. Firstly, verse 3, he was a descendant of David. Now, you and I, you might think, I couldn't care who he was descended from. What's the big deal with that? Well, try and get in the world of a first century Jewish reader sometimes. Jewish expectation, you see, based on the Old Testament scriptures, you see, promised beforehand, was that the Messiah would be descended from a particular family line, the line of the great King David. He would be one of his family descendants. It's central to the Christmas story. I realized, as I looked at it the other week, seven times in the Christmas story, Matthew 1, Matthew 2, Luke 1, Luke 2, seven times David is mentioned. The city of David. 
that Joseph is descended from David, that he had to go up to the the town of David, to register for the census. It's really, really important. Paul is emphasizing here, which doesn't hit us so hard as it would first century Jews, that Jesus is qualified regarding his human nature because he's descended from David. But at least get this. It backs up that it was from long-promised times in the Old Testament that Jesus was descended. But more dramatically, perhaps, certainly to our hearing, is verse 4, his resurrection from the dead. Jesus is descended from David and raised from the dead. So Jesus not only had earthly credentials, those in line with Old Testament prophecy, he has raised from the dead credentials too. He truly, really was raised from the dead as we know, historically. You see, just as he was the son of God in meekness through the limitations of his humanity, so he was announced to the world as the son of God powerfully through his resurrection from the dead. Of course, he'd always been the son of God in power, but his resurrection was like an announcement to the world. Here comes the son of God in power as he walks out of the tomb, raised from the dead. This is the ultimate euangelion, the ultimate announcement of good news. This saviour has proven his worth, has proven his work in being raised from the dead. This gospel is an announcement of good news. It was promised long beforehand. It's the gospel regarding God's Son, which is why we want to say, just Jesus, let's focus right in on him. And finally, and wonderfully, at the end of this passage that we read, verse 7, what does this gospel do in us? Well, it saves us, and it leaves us in this state. Grace and peace to you. I don't think I could say anything better to you at the start of 2022. You see, these announcements back in Roman times, these euangelion announcements of an emperor being enthroned or a battle being won, would often be declaring a new day had dawned. Peace has come on the land. Prosperity will be ours now because of this event that's happened. Well, to all who believe... The result of this good news is a new era. It's a new era of grace and peace to you. In direct contrast to moralistic, therapeutic deism, which simply reinforces, here's what you need to do. Here's what you must achieve. It's all in your hands. You make it happen. The gospel is all about what God has done in Jesus. And the extraordinary state that we now find ourselves in. If you're a follower of Jesus today, I don't know how your week's been. In fact, I do know how some of your weeks have been. I don't know how all your weeks have been. I don't know what looking down 2022 looks like to you. But I want to say this to you because Paul says it at the beginning of almost all his letters. Grace and peace to you. I can't tell you what's going to happen this year, but I can tell you this, grace is yours. 
I can't tell you the things that are going to happen or not happen, but I can tell you this. Peace with God is yours. It's all grace, you see. My question at the start, how well do you know Jesus, could be rephrased. How well do you know grace? Because if you don't know his grace, you don't really know Jesus. One writer said this, the posture most natural to Jesus is not a pointed finger, but open arms. I want to say to you, grace to you. Not just best wishes to you, not just good luck to you. I want to say this to you. The grace of God is yours. He is for you. He loves you. For those of you who instinctively think he must be pointing his finger and finding something in me. Well, there is such a thing as conviction of sin. But let me tell you this. Grace to you. And it's all peace. The grace we receive from God leaves us at peace with God. I do not wake up every morning thinking, I wonder if I'm going to be good enough for God today. I know in myself I haven't got a shot, but do you know whose righteousness I'm clothed in? The righteousness of Jesus Christ. I am at peace with God. And if I can be at peace with God, I can be at peace with myself and at peace with those around me. It's all grace and peace. I want to read you this short story about a guy who was desperate and finally saw the gospel and it was grace and peace to him. The writer says, I shall never forget Easter Sunday, 1992. A homeless man was standing in the back of the church listening intently. At the end of the evening meeting, I sat down on the edge of the platform, exhausted as others continued to pray with those who'd responded to Christ. I was just starting to unwind when I looked up to see this man with shabby clothing and matted hair standing in the center of the aisle waiting for permission to approach me. When he came close, I saw that his two front teeth were missing, but more striking was his odor. The mixture of alcohol, sweat, urine and garbage took my breath away. I asked his name. David, he said softly. How long have you been homeless, David? Six years. Where did you sleep last night? In an abandoned truck. I'd heard enough and wanted to get this over quickly, so I reached in my pocket to get some money out for him. At that moment, David put his finger up and said, no, 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 you you don't understand. I don't want your money. I'm going to die out there. I want the Jesus that was being spoken of this evening. I hesitated, then closed my eyes and felt terrible. God, forgive me for thinking of him in that way. David sensed the change in me. He moved toward me and fell on my chest, burying his grimy head against my white shirt and tie. Holding him close, I talked to him about Jesus' love. These weren't just words, I felt them for this young man. I don't know how to explain it. But that smell had almost made me sick and now it became the most beautiful fragrance to me. I reveled in what had been repulsive just a moment ago. David surrendered to the Christ he heard about that night. We got him into a hospital detox unit for a week. He got his teeth fixed. He joined the prayer band right away. He spent the next Thanksgiving day in our house 
We invited him back for Christmas as well. Today, David heads up the maintenance department at the church, overseeing 10 other employees. He's married and a father. God is opening doors for him to speak about what God has done in his life. Do you know what I thought when I read that story? I didn't think of somebody out there who's disadvantaged. I thought of me. I thought of me stinking in sin, desperately in need of a saviour, desperately in need of the gospel. You see, the gospel will clean you up from your sin. It will make you whole. It will bring you home. It will put you right with God. This is Jesus. This is the gospel. Jesus is the center of the gospel. It's an extraordinary story that God is announcing to the world and announcing again to you today that you might delight and rejoice that there is such a thing as the gospel because God sent his son, Jesus. What a gospel. What an amazing savior we have. What a plan of salvation. God, help our eyes this year to get increasingly focused on just Jesus, to revel in him and delight in him and be glad in him. Perhaps you could just stand up for a moment as we draw to a close. For some of you, I want you to imagine the Father's arms wide open and not a pointing finger. I want you to imagine him embracing you, receiving you, loving you, welcoming you, not condemning you, down on you, but lifting your head to see his smiling gaze at you. The stinking sinner welcomed as a son. And for some of you this year, you're looking down the year and you're thinking, I don't know how I'm going to do this. I spoke to someone this week who, at each step of their journey that seems to get deeper and deeper into trouble, they just think, I can't take another step. But they find that Jesus is there at every step along the way, however deep it gets. I want us to have confidence in his grace. He receives us and he keeps us. Grace and peace to you, this gospel shouts. Holy Spirit, please come and convince us of your grace. Help us feel it, see it, love it. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you, there is an announcement of good news in the world. What God has done for us in Jesus Christ. Receive his grace. Know his grace. So know there is peace with God. If you're here for the first time, maybe you're not a Christian yet, you think I could do with some peace, I could do with some grace, please come and see one of us afterwards. For everyone else, please get a smile on your face that grace is yours in Jesus Christ. Amen.